This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. Just when I'm ready for some calm, we get more noise. Buy this, buy that, sell this, sell that. It just sounds so tiring. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we are going to do two things. First, I'm going to share with you how I'm changing my investment strategy based on the recent election results. And second, by popular demand, we are switching up our mortgage-free segment to include other stories of big financial wins. So this week, we're going to be featuring Josh Hastings, who recently paid off over $300,000 in student loans with his wife. Wow. (laughs) We're going to talk to him about how he did this and why it was important to them early on in their marriage. All right, let's jump into today's show. Election 2020. Wow. What a Oh, year. The news, the tweets, <laughs> the lawn signs. Oh my God. <laughs> Honestly, I am so glad it's over. I don't know about you guys, but yeah, happy it's all done. Between the election, COVID-19, and the craziness of virtual school or, or in-person school getting canceled and then uncanceled and then recanceled, it's been a wild year. For one major thing to be over this election, for that to be over, it's just a pure relief. Now that we know who's won and the dust is settling, I've been seeing a lot of financial news stories about what to invest in and what not to invest in based on Joe Biden being our next president. There are lots of news stories talking about the best stocks to buy based on his political leanings and Conversely, what stocks will maybe tumble because of his potential policies. I've read some of those articles, and honestly, it just sounds like a lot more noise. Just when I'm ready for some calm, we get more noise. Buy this, buy that, sell this, sell that. It just sounds so tiring, especially after the year we've just had. It's coming to a close, but man, what a year. So how am I going to change my investment strategy based on the election results? I'm not going to at all. I'm not going to change it one bit. I'm going to change nothing. And I'm going to tell you why. Number one, the simplest thing can be the best thing. Constantly buying and selling stocks based on the news and hoping to outperform the market is a game very few people win. Now, are there professionals who can and have beat the market? Sure, of course. But I don't care to dedicate my time to trying to outperform a market that over 90% of large cap fund managers can't beat over the last 15 years. Yes, that's according to data compiled by Standard & Poor's. 
90%. So instead, I don't try to beat the market. I just try to be the market. John Bogle, the godfather of the index fund, the inventor of the index fund, he said it best. Don't look for the needle in the haystack. Just buy the haystack. It's an interesting quote. And it helps you, right? It helps you make a simple choice. An effective choice, too. Over the last 90 years, the S&P 500 has averaged around a 10% annual return. Does that happen every year? No, that's the average over 90 years. Since I'm a long-term buy-and-hold investor, these are the kind of results that I like because I'm going to be in it for the long-term. So I'm keeping it simple. My second reason for not doing anything, number two, getting in and out of the market can affect your return. My new friend, Echo Huang, that you guys heard just a few weeks ago, she said it best when I interviewed her. Time in the stock market is more important than timing of the market. And you probably would agree that very few people could predict the stock market well and just decide when to get back in. And you know what? The studies show many, many times individual investors do not do well and they don't even earn close to market return because of that problem. Emotional investing S&P 500, if you just leave the money there from 2000 to this year, August 9th, 2020, by JP Morgan study, if you just invest in S&P 500 and don't even move, your rate of return would be above 6% per year. But then if you miss the best 10 days, it goes down to 2%. Per year. So it's only 10 best days over 20 years and seven months. That's right. Just like she said, if you were caught out of the market for just 10 days during that 10 year period, you were barely making enough to cover inflation. So if the news about the presidential election makes you want to cash in your chips, you may want to think twice. It would be quite difficult to choose exactly when to sell all your stuff and then also when to get back in. You got to be right twice. And that is a very difficult thing to do. Number three, stock predictions can be wrong. Joe Biden talked up the importance of wind and solar and all those good things in the debates, right? Does that mean we should all be buying wind and solar stocks? Well, it kind of sounds logical, right? But according to acclaimed financial writer Morgan Housel, that logic could be flawed. He found that what we think most candidates will do and what they end up being able to do is very different. For example, in 2008, there were the same calls for buying green stocks based on Obama's pro-environmental stance. But... Green companies like First Solar did not end up doing as well as traditional oil companies like ExxonMobil following an Obama presidency. This was because a lot of the policies that were talked about during the campaign weren't able to be passed due to congressional challenges. Because it's not just him. It's a lot of other folks (laughs) that have to push it through. So in short, there's a lot of big talk and ideas thrown around during the campaign, but not all of them can come to fruition. 
we need to remember that as we're considering buying and selling stocks based on who our president is. So with all the noise of 2020, I'm not going to be adding to it. Instead, I'm going to sit back dollar cost average into my diverse portfolio and let compound interest do its magic. Will I maybe miss out on some higher returns? Maybe. Would I rather focus my energy, time, and attention to more important things like my family? Absolutely. Well, enough about me. I want to know what you think because everyone's situation is different. And just because I think this way, it might not be the right way for you. Are you changing your investment strategy based on the election? I would love to hear from you. So please hit me up on Instagram or Twitter to let me know at Andy Hill MKM. I'd love to hear from you. We'll be back to the show after a word from our sponsor. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work-optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? (laughs) If you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. And use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. Let's jump back into the show. 
Student debt can feel like an unbearable weight on our shoulders. With $1.6 trillion of student debt in our country, this is an issue that a lot of Americans are dealing with. Today, we're going to speak with someone who worked with their spouse to pay off $180,000 of student debt in just 36 months. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you may remember this guy, Josh Hastings. He showed up in 2018 and shared with us how he paid off around $100,000 of student debt. This was his progress. You can listen to that episode at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 66. So I'm so glad to have him back to hear how he progressed and he and his wife did this together and they eliminated the debt once and for all. Welcome to the show, Josh. How's it going, Andy? Thanks for having me. And it has been a while. I think it was, man, maybe the beginning of 2018, the last time we spoke. So glad to hear from you. Glad to hear from you, and I'm glad to be talking to you about your great win. So $180,000, that is a lot of money for college. What did you guys study? <laughs> well, well, actually, we paid off 300000 in student loans. 300, I'm way off. Was, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I had written an article at the point where we were at 180, but to answer your question, my wife actually... So I got my degree in teaching. I became a phys ed teacher back in 2009. And I only took out 40000 to do that, I say only, but back then that was a reasonable amount. And then I actually managed to get my master's pretty much paid for as I went sort of thing. But my wife got her doctorate in physical therapy. So when it was all said and done, after five years of undergrad, three years in graduate schools, her, her degree totaled over 275000 So wow. at, at its height, we were combined over three hundred, just a little bit over three hundred, I think, when we first met. So it's a, it's a crazy, crazy amount to say the least. So are you both now practicing your professions today? I was an athletic director, didn't really like working all the time, 65 hours a week. So I went back to teaching four years ago, which I love. And then my wife, yeah, she's a physical therapist at a hospital. Awesome. Does she dig her career then? She definitely likes it for sure. With that, that career field, you typically work nights. And so what's cool is she's got more of the eight to five. So she likes her schedule. But I will say she's a little bit on the smaller side. And so sometimes her patients are you know, if they're non-weight bearing, she has to pick them up. So she's pretty strong, I'll say. But yeah, she likes helping people. She she wants to give back to the ADA and then some of the spinal cord injuries. She wants to eventually start a nonprofit with that. That's incredible. Very cool. Well, congratulations on, you know, finding professions you guys enjoy and then now trying to pay this thing off. And it sounds like you guys have. So talk to me about the steps that you started to take when you wanted to pay off your student loans. Was there an epiphany moment where you're like, all right, let's tackle this thing? There was actually a few you know, I think it's called ego. I think that's the word. I, I bought a brand new truck the minute I got hired as an athletic director. I was the youngest one in my county. Thought that meant something. That doesn't that doesn't equate to a lot of things. But needless to say, my wife, when she was studying for her boards, interestingly enough, she was going to the public library all the time to kind of get out of the house and study. And she came across this book, Total Money Makeover, Dave Ramsey. Everyone knows the book, right? And it was, no one could rent it because every time it came back, she, it was like someone else had it in line. So she finally got in line with it and she didn't even read it. I just randomly picked it up one day and started reading it. And I, I don't, I remember specifically it said, if you buy a brand new vehicle, it's like throwing a hundred dollars out the window every single week or maybe every single day. Don't quote me on that. And so I, I made a budget and that was in 2014. And it wasn't until like February of 2016 that we started kind of recognizing that we needed to take our loans serious. But I would say from the end of 2014 to 2016, we just started doing little things that kind of put us in a good position to, okay, I think we can actually tackle this. Because prior to that, we thought there's no way we could ever pay these off. It's just too much. But 
when you take a little bit of baby steps, you can kind of wrap your head around the big win. So taking it in small steps, realizing, yes, it's a huge thing, but then realizing that you can do it over time and not have to do it all at once. Did refinancing ever come into the picture for you guys? You know, I'm anti-refinance. I've really figured out a lot when it comes to student loans. And it, it just depends on your scenario. So I shouldn't say, I don't like to make blanket statements like, yes, you should, or no, you shouldn't. But for us, it would have been catastrophic because we would have taken all of her student loans and made one big loan. I always give people the analogy. It's like, imagine if you had one garden hose and eight or nine little fires. Well, you could just drown out one fire and then go to the next fire and then go to the next one, correct? However, if you refinance that thing and you make one massive fire, that garden hose doesn't make a dent on that principal balance. And so when we started learning, what you find out a lot of times is your student loans are bundled. Okay. So her grad school loans were three huge loans, but her undergrad loans were like 12 or 13 really small loans serviced by one payment. And so what we started doing was making extra payments all targeted at the smallest one of those 13 to really kind of get the ball rolling. And then obviously you can free up some cash flow. I did sell my truck, by the way. That was a, a decision made. Cut out the gym, did some did, did some things like that. And then we did actually refinance once it made sense because we were all about our cash flow and then also the interest rate. And so we didn't want to hurt our cash flow. And then once we were able to get it where refinancing made sense, we ended up refinancing like 70000 though. So not a lot. Once you cleared up some of the smaller ones, since there were so many, you did the snowball for a while. And then when it got to a larger amount, you said, okay, well, maybe we can refinance that larger amount. Exactly. Yeah, we had, I think we had the 155 in the grad school loans. And then she had over 125 in undergrad. And I think once we got the undergrad to a point where they were, I think they were at 20. And I think the grad school were like at 55. We just put them together and it made sense mathematically to do it. So what kind of interest rate were you working with, with a lot of these in general? So that's the crazy thing. The grad school loans, which typically, yes, they're federally funded, but they're always unsubsidized for grad school. They don't look at it as a necessary, I guess, loan per se. Those were at 7%. Uh, so that's they're like six, six point 6.9, I have a somewhere on my blog, I have a screenshot. I could find it for you. And then the undergrad ones were anywhere from 4% to all the way up to seven, I think seven and a half percent. We actually shifted our mindset when we started attacking the highest interest rate loans. After we got kind of the debt snowball rolling, we were like, "These some of these loans are killing us. Let's attack those first. So tell people a little bit about the debt snowball if they haven't heard of it. Yeah. So the debt snowball, I mean, you know, think of a snowball rolling down a hill, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, typically what most people do is I, I call it, they spray their money. They'll, they'll get a, get, they'll pay a little bit on the credit card, a little bit on the student loan, a little bit on the extra on the house, maybe a little bit extra on something else. Well, the debt snowball, which is infamous from Dave Ramsey, basically means you take all your loans, all your debt, you line it up outside of your mortgage though, line it up from least to greatest. Okay. So let's say you have a $200 credit card all the way up to like a $50,000 student loan. And you just take however much extra money you're willing to dedicate each month to your debt and you attack the smallest one. As you pay that off, you free up that cash flow that was the minimum payment. So you make the minimum payments on the rest. And then you can roll all that into the next loan. And then the next one, whether it's a credit card, student loan, car, and you just go down the list and you're freeing up cash flow every time to then redirect at the next the next debt amount. So it makes sense psychologically too. You get those quick wins, 
and you feel good about it and then you want to keep going. It gets a little addicting. How did you guys stay motivated? Because those numbers are huge. I mean, did you ever just feel like I got to give up? I mean, how did you stay motivated? You know, it's funny. If a lot of people ask that and I, 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 I personally am like a big, big nerd when it comes to reading psychology. I was a wrestler. I was a wrestling coach. So you're always man, playing a lot of mental games with yourself. It's corny and cliche, but we knew why we wanted to do it. Like we were like, look, we, we have to get rid of this student loan debt because where we live is super expensive. And it was kind of like you have living costs. We had student loans and then we had daycare. Well, we didn't have kids yet. And so we were like, okay, we can't do all three. We got to choose two. And so I was like, well, why don't we get rid of the student loans and then have a, have kids? That was a, a decision some people maybe aren't willing to make. I know there's different health situations. That was kind of the route we took. And now, honestly, that's the greatest motivator ever because we really wanted to have kids. And we're like, so anytime we started to kind of get a little like, oh, maybe we shouldn't pay them off or maybe we should just go take that big vacation. And I think being part of a team, because when I had those moments of maybe when I didn't feel like doing it, my wife was like, no, we're sticking to it and vice versa. But I think if you know where you're going and you're patient, and then last thing I'll say is just compare yourself to yesterday. Sometimes we get really wrapped up in comparing ourselves to the biggest, like, you know, if you're like, I'm going to get in shape. Well, someone might go from not working out to like, they want to look like the rock. Let's say it's like, why did you pick the rock? He's probably one of the most <laughs> humans in the world. Just, just compare yourself to where you were yesterday, where you were last month. And you'll start to be like, wow, we're actually making a lot of progress. I mean, I almost remember when it kind of tipped to the other side, I was like, man, we got this in the bag. So. I think that's a great example. I went to go see, I think, Black Panther a couple of years ago and I saw Michael B. Jordan and I'm like, I'm going to look like him. And to your point, it's like, dude, how about you just like maybe go run around the block right, <laughs> instead right, of trying to compare right. yourself to. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, he, he's got a dietitian. He's got a yes. trainer. I mean, he's getting paid to look like that. You got to put exactly. that in perspective. That's you know? so, so true. So you talked about family, that being a motivator. Are you guys moving in that direction? How's that going for you guys? Once we paid off all the student loans in July, we made the decision that, hey, we were going to start trying for a family. So that's beautiful. We are, uh, I, I appreciate we're, that. We're working on it. I, we can't wait. So that's great. That's great. Well, that's, that's great motivation. I remember having similar motivation for paying off my debt. We found out we were going to be parents and that became a big motivator for us to eliminate both my student loans and my wife's car loan. Talk about the expenses side of things. You hinted at it a little bit. Did you do some things along the way to decrease your expenses? I know you didn't have to deal with the daycare yet, and that's a big time for a lot of people. But what other expenses did you work on to eliminate this debt? Yeah, so if you go back to when I said in 2014, we kind of started doing a little bit of things differently. So it kind of put us in position in 2016 to kind of get really, I call it, I call it getting thin. And what I mean by getting thin, it's like you cut out all the fluff. Like you, you assess wants and needs and we, we, we kind of went a little, some people call it fanatical, but when you want fanatical like results, you have to do some fanatical like things, kind of like when you guys paid off your mortgage. But we got rid of the gym. We got rid of all direct TV. We made the decision that as a married couple, we'd rent a room out in our house. It actually worked out great. We, we miss her. She could live here again. She was like a second mom, amazing human. But we rented out a room in our home. We cut out, I mean, just, I think we were eating out up to $50 a, a month, $300 in, in groceries. I had a, I bought a car cash. My wife's car was paid off. We did our wedding, a very small wedding. So, those, and then we, here's another thing we said, we made a pack and then we're kind of, we were at that age when everyone's getting married, bachelor parties, bachelorette parties, weddings. We made a rule, no distance weddings, no bachelorette parties. And I won't lie, that wasn't always easy. But we started doing some math and we were, every time someone got married, it was a thousand dollars because we had to go travel across the country. Or every time my friend wanted to go to Vegas for three days to, to celebrate their bachelor party, 
that was a thousand dollars. And those, those things, they add up quickly. So that's just a, a pretty general thing. We're pretty frugal, I will say, but we also focus on earning some income too. Cause I always tell people you can only cut out so much whereas you can earn more. That's a little bit more exponential and not it's in your control, I think too. So yeah, that's incredible. So you mentioned renting a room out of your place. Did you do anything else to increase your income during the time too? So renting the room is, is, is one of the best ways. My family is very entrepreneurial, all small business owners. So, you know, I kind of, I, I guess you could say I'm fortunate that if I ever want to pick up a shift with the family's landscaping company, they're always willing. But I, at the same time, because I, I acquired those skills most of my life, I'm like the neighborhood landscaper. I've done, I've done some work there. And then, you know, the blog, what the blog did is it allowed me, I haven't, I'm not, I'm not one of these bloggers who's making, you know, the, the boatloads blogging. But what it allowed me to do was teach myself a skill set and I can now design websites and I can now do SEO work for some of my friends' companies. And so what's cool is I've been able to, to transition the skills I learned blogging to make on average over, you know, a thousand plus a month, sometimes up to 3000. And so every little bit counts for sure. That's incredible. And motivating people along the way by sharing your story on your blog, which is great. So talk to me about... I want to give some people advice right now. They're hearing this story. They're getting motivated. They're like, yeah, I want to get rid of my stuff as well. But they're hearing in the news, do they not pay down their federal student loans right now because of the CARES Act? What do you say about that? I know that you had some opinions on refinancing. Yeah, it's funny. My my best friend, he is actually a doctor as well. And so he's got some student loans. And then back in May, I went to go see him. He got a new place down in Wilmington, North Carolina. And he asked that exact question. He's like, hey, what do I do? He's like, he's like should I pay? as much as possible since they're interest free, they're not accruing interest. Should I pay the minimums? What should I, I, what should I do? I said, here's what I do. I was like, I would pay the minimums. And then I would act as if you're paying them with whatever extra you were willing to commit to it. So let's say your, your minimum's 800, but you're really willing to put 1200 towards them. I was like, take that extra 400 and pay yourself in another vehicle, whether you decide to invest it, whether you decide to put it in a savings account. And I was like, and then just hold tight. I was like, let's see what happens. Let's kind of wait it out. I was like, because you don't want to start paying all this extra money towards the student loans and then maybe they're interest-free for another year. But at the same time, I told him, I'm like, look, if you also know you're not disciplined enough to make that extra payment, quote unquote, to yourself, then maybe consider making that extra payment towards your student loans since they are interest-free. I always tell people inevitably you're going to pay it off. So it just depends. Yeah, I like that. And also taking stock of who you are personally. If you don't trust yourself to take that money, be like, oh yeah, I'll take that extra $400. I'm going to go do something else with it. I'm not going to save it. Then know that maybe you should be throwing out your student loans, right? Yeah, it's like the savings account thing, right? Everyone has their savings next to their checking. And then they're like, ah, I want to get a burrito. So they transfer $10 from their savings to their checking. And it's like, well, that's not a savings account. That's a second checking account. Yeah, yeah, like, it's a burrito account. It really account. is. I mean, it's a burrito <laughs> account. Like your savings should be, in my opinion, I always say put your savings like way far from your checking so that you don't even mess with it. So yeah, that's a good piece of advice. All right. So there's somebody listening and they're ready to tackle their mountain of student debt like you did. What's the first step they should do following this interview? That is a loaded question. I would say <laughs> the cliche thing is going to say, get on a budget. But I think maybe other than getting on a budget is just see how much extra you can pay towards one specific loan, okay? One student loan. So if it's a bundle of three, pay the smallest one. And let's say you can pay $50 extra. That's it, just 50. In addition to your minimums, set a small goal to increase that, whether it's 1%, $10, whatever. So that next month, you just pay 60. And then the following month, you pay 70. 
you kind of stay in what I call a stretch zone. A lot of people go from a comfort zone, right? To a stress zone. They go, I'm going to go all in. I'm going to make a thousand dollars. And they stress themselves out and they kind of fall back. Like the new year's resolution people just kind of, just kind of add a little bit to it every month and see kind of, you'll gradually, your life will adjust to that, that small change. You'll be surprised at what you can really do in a year and then two years and three years. So. Josh is spot on everybody. I mean, those micro steps, those tiny little additional things you can do in your life can make a mountain of difference down the road. But if you try to do too much, if you say you want to be the rock right away, you want to work out, it's not, it's not going to work out, right? You can't pay 300,000 to student loans off in a day or two. You got to do it over a period of time and make those progressive steps. So Josh, thank you so much for sharing this information with us and motivating us all to hit our big goals. Where's the best place for people to check you out, learn more about your story and check out your blog? So my blog is just moneylifewax.com. It's a weird name, but it means the whole ball of wax. It kind of, you know, a little bit of everything. I'm probably on Instagram the most. It's at moneylifewax. Twitter second, which is at moneylifewax. I do have a Facebook page, but truthfully, I've kind of not been on Facebook lately. It's kind of the, it's kind of more of the toxic social media. So I, I actually had my wife change my password. So I don't really get on Facebook too much. So Instagram is probably my favorite though. I like these conversations on digital minimalism. We're having periodically through our yeah, conversation too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> well, Josh, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it, man. Yeah, no, this is awesome. Thanks for letting me share. Congratulations to Josh on that big, big victory. That is so cool. With all of that student debt now in his rearview mirror, he's going to start to build some major wealth and give his family an incredible tomorrow. As a quick reminder, everybody, this show is for entertainment purposes only. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation. Before we go for the day, I would appreciate it if you could do me one quick favor. If you have any questions, send them my way. All you got to do is go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash voicemail and leave me a quick message. Just introduce yourself, ask your question in less than 90 seconds, and I will do my best to answer it on the show. Now, if you don't want to hear your voice, that is totally fine. You can always just shoot me a note on social at Andy Hill MKM. That's at Andy Hill MKM. You can do that on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, etc. And remember, you can always go anonymous if you want to as well. Anonymous from wherever. <laughs> anonymous from Michigan, anonymous from North Carolina, and ask your question. Again, that's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash voicemail or on social at Andy Hill MKM. I hope to hear from you. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Bruce Lee. The successful warrior is the average man with laser-like focus. Keep your eye on the prize, ignore the noise, and press on, my friends. Carpe diem! 